emphasizing GDP growth, not they want to grow, but at least not the, the higher number. Rather, they have other priorities and, and are willing to sacrifice to some extent, which I think is a recognition of the reality. What that number is going to be going forward, I don't know. As I said before, I think 3% for this year is is quite high. I think it's likely to be in the twos somewhere and maybe not so strong next year. But overall, China still has the, the wherewithal and the strength, as Sean has, has outlined, to uh, to do pretty well, especially compared to the rest of the world going forward. But it will be at a lower level. Okay. Well, thank you very much indeed for your uh, your time this morning. You heard there uh, Mark Michelson, who is chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Uh, Sean DeBeau, who's Chief Executive Officer at Eurozone Capital Asia, and our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Friday morning at 8.30, it's the 2022 Policy Address phone-in. Chief Executive John Lee will join us in the studio to answer your questions and listen to your comments on this year's Policy Address. Presented by Jim Gould and Janice Wong, this is your chance to speak directly to the Chief Executive. This live broadcast will also be available on RTHK TV 31 and 32, our Facebook pages and Radio 3's YouTube channel. Get your call in early on 233-88266 to speak with the Chief Executive. 233-88266 for the 2022 Policy Address phone-in. 8.30 to 9.30 Friday morning on Radio 3. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Very quick final look at the markets for this morning. The SX200 in Australia up a third of a percent. In Japan, uh, the Nikkei 225 has risen half a percent at the open. And it looks like here in Hong Kong, the, uh, the Hang Seng is going to fall about 25 points when trading gets going. Stay tuned for Back Chat after the news with Janice Wong and Brian Wong. The weather forecast, uh, cooler in the morning. Maximum temperature is going to be around 24 degrees. It's going to be windy tomorrow, but then the weather will improve in the latter part of this week. Strong monsoon signal is in force, 22 degrees, 50% relative humidity. Times 8.32. Here's Mario Rourke with the half-hour news. Chief Executive John Lee is set to deliver his maiden policy address later this morning, and attracting overseas talent and fast-tracking housing supply are expected to be among the major topics. Various groups have come up with proposals to boost land supply and tackle the housing shortage, such as renewed private participation in building subsidised housing and the use of brownfield sites. Tsilai Shan is the Deputy Director of the NGO Society for Community Organisation. She says housing needs to be at the top of Mr Lee's agenda because many low-income people are having a really difficult time. Because I think in the past few years, especially under COVID-19, the waiting time is even longer than before. And besides their income is reduced and the rent is keeping high, so it's very hard for the family to wait for longer time. Health officials say an unvaccinated toddler is in intensive care with COVID. This comes as two new COVID variants surfaced here. Mike Weeks has the details. The Centre for Health Protection said the boy, who's just over two and a half years old, developed a fever on Monday and was taken to Queen Elizabeth Hospital for treatment. The boy was among eight coronavirus patients listed in critical condition. The hospital authorities said more than 1,800 COVID patients were being treated in public hospitals. News of the toddler's battle with the virus came as Hong Kong reported its first cases of two COVID sublineages, XBD and BF.7. Meanwhile, Hong Kong reported 4,954 new COVID cases yesterday, 388 of which were imported. Seven more patients with COVID have died. 
The government says from tomorrow it will ease the ban on public gatherings from groups of four to groups of 12. It says the decision was made because the COVID situation here appears to have levelled off. The move comes as other social distancing measures are being relaxed. Robert Kemp reports. In a statement, the government said the epidemic situation here had stabilised since the peak early last month. It said even though there had been a slight increase in new COVID cases due to infectious new variants, overall figures for people being admitted to hospitals and deaths remained stable, while the number of new daily COVID cases was hovering around the 5,000 mark. And it said the public healthcare system could now maintain most of its normal services while handling COVID inpatient cases. Meanwhile, also from tomorrow, live performances will be allowed at bars and nightclubs. More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Brian Wong. Good morning, Brian. Morning. On today's programme, we're looking at chaos in UK politics. It's just Liz Truss's fifth week as Premier, but her short stint has already seen chaos in the financial markets. She sacked her finance minister and performed a U-turn on her flagship tax policy. And despite apologising for going too far and too fast, with reforms that triggered economic turmoil, there's speculation the Prime Minister won't even last this week as the party's leader, let alone lead the UK Conservatives into the next general election, due by January 2025. So just how much credibility is left in the Liz Truss government? Can she survive this? If not, who can replace her? After 9.15, we will look at the New Territories Cycle Track Network, as Hong Kongers are being asked for their views on the final 17 kilometres of the cycling track network, connecting New Territories east to west. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call at 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have in our Kowloon Tong studio... Roger Awan Scully, Professor of Political Science at Baptist University. And on the line, we have Sandra Marco Colino, an Associate Professor from the Chinese University's Faculty of Law. Good morning to you both, and uh, thanks for joining us on the program. So, uh, Professor Awan Scully, what's going on here? I mean, did Liz Truss um, have any idea what she was getting herself into? I don't think so. Um, she campaigned for the Conservative Party leadership. Uh, you know, to succeed Boris Johnson as party leader and therefore prime minister. Um, she campaigned very much on this sort of tax-cutting agenda that won you know, strong support from within her party, uh, and then she went and tried to implement this. Uh, but clearly, you know, the, the, sort of the mechanics of how you would actually implement this and keep the markets happy had not been properly thought through. You know, that, you know, she and her finance minister were proposing large-scale tax cuts when the UK was already running a substantial structural deficit and interest rates are rising around the world. And the markets reacted incredibly negatively. This has meant that she's had to sack her finance minister, appoint a replacement who, you know, uh, was, is not a close ally of hers and who has now gone about basically reversing more with everything that was announced uh, just three weeks ago. And have you seen anything uh, close to this in uh, British uh, politics before? 
Uh, no, uh, and I've been observing it for quite a long time. Um, you know, governments do sometimes have to reverse policy course. They're sometimes forced to do things by market pressure. But we've never seen something like this. A new prime minister come in with a clear policy agenda and that basically exploding in her face within you know, three or four weeks of her taking office. And uh, this uh, chaos we're talking about really started with her £43 million mini-budget. Uh, mm. Professor Colino, just, just how much market chaos did her mini-budget cause? Well, I think that the biggest problem here is that um, she effectively, with her proposals, she was catering to a very um, small minority, right? She had to be elected by her own party. Um, so, of course, um, this is very different from the general electorate. And then, of course, once the measures were announced, as you could see, I mean, the pound dropped heavily. It uh, reached a, a new low, a uh, record low. Um, it, uh, you can see also that the IMF itself, this was almost unprecedented, said that they were worried about the measures and about how they would affect consumers at a time when we have a huge cost of living crisis. Um, so they were the wrong measures at the wrong time. Um, and of course, that raised huge concerns. Professor Kalina, just wanted to follow up on that. Now, some views uh, hold that Liz Truss essentially is seeking to uh, rebrand herself or, or position herself as uh, Margaret Thatcher reincarnated. So, you know, someone mm -hmm. who would defend and uphold free market ideology and views according to those lines to appeal to the voters in the base in the Tory party. Do you see her as uh, a new Thatcher or do you see her as the opposite of one? Well, it's very difficult right now since, you know, I think that her credibility has been so hugely damaged at this moment that it's, it's very difficult to compare her with, with Thatcher. I mean, she's probably one of the few prime ministers that has never really had even a honeymoon period. Um, you know, normally there's always immediately after somebody is elected and they start implementing the policies for which they were elected, they start by normally keeping their promises and therefore they have a, a certain credibility and popularity. But this has just been, like, like, um, like we said before, it has exploded almost immediately um, as soon as the measures were announced. And I think that, I mean, of course, the, the, the context is also very difficult. We are seeing um, the UK suffer a lot with everything that has been going on. Um, we also are on the, there's, there's been so much instability in the last few years with effectively four prime ministers since 2016. And this is, it's, it's a very difficult moment to implement um, such measures. And it's a very difficult moment also for any prime minister to really be able to execute any policy. Um, I, I, and particularly now that it's, it's very clear that um, the conservatives are really lagging behind the polls. I mean, the polls very often get it wrong, but it's such a huge lead that Labour seem to have now over the Conservatives that they would have to be historically really, really wrong to get this to, 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 be, to be mistaken this time that they probably would not do very well in a general election. And uh, Liz Truss uh, did uh, make a U-turn on her tax policy. Uh, what's been the market reaction to that? Well, it's, it's been it's improved, um, but I think the, uh, the, the immediate reaction is an improvement. But we need to look at the bigger picture. I think that sending out this message that things are so volatile and that you can effectively take such a huge turn on the promises um, that have been made um, is not really calling out for stability or doesn't really suggest that this will be 
a very stable government, very predictable, predictable government. I mean, even um, there's questions now as to whether she will maintain the triple lock um, on pensions and inflation. So um, it's, it's very, very difficult um, to see stability uh, in the light of this. Right. Professor Awan Scully, um, did, did you uh, agree with uh, what uh, Professor Colino uh, is saying? Uh, yeah, y yes, I do. And I think, you know, um, as you're saying, all, all of the initial market reaction to the reversal of policy yesterday was um, was certainly you know, somewhat positive. I think more generally, this has, you know, the events of the last few weeks have deeply damaged the UK's credibility with the international markets. But I wonder if, it might, if I could just uh, touch on something that was said a few minutes ago. You know, Liz Truss you know, very much has sought to position herself uh, when she was campaigning for leadership as the next Thatcher, or, you know, the heir to Margaret Thatcher. But she seems to have done without, while actually forgetting or not understanding a lot of the things that made Margaret Thatcher successful. I mean, when Margaret Thatcher became leader of the Conservative Party and then Prime Minister, she made sure that she secured her basis of support within her political party. She brought the people who had opposed her for the leadership into her leadership team. You made her made opponent actually deputy prime minister. Liz Truss has constructed a leadership team, well, in, until she replaced her finance minister a few days ago, constructed a leadership team entirely of her own supporters, excluded loads of uh, other major figures in the party, rather than trying to include them within her team, so immediately set up huge amounts of opposition to herself in her party. Liz Truss also seems to have forgotten that Margaret Thatcher, while having a very clear sense of where she wanted to go, also on many of her major policies proceeded very cautiously initially. You know, she had not just a strategic aim, but also a clear understanding of the tactics you needed to realise those objectives, whereas Truss and her initial finance minister, Kwasi Kwarteng, just blundered ahead, seemingly with little understanding of you know, the fact that you needed to actually proceed cautiously while keeping a clear sense of the direction that you're going in. And the result has been that, you know, tremendous political instability and unpopularity, a complete failure, and actually had to totally reverse course. It's quite unbelievable, right? I mean, because, uh, I mean, she's not new. She's an experienced politician. Yes, she's been a cabinet minister for eight years, but seemingly has not learned um, nearly enough as, as she should have done. I mean, you know, sure, she was an effective candidate for the Conservative Party leadership, but there is a very different thing between being a candidate for the leadership and actually then going and, and running the show yourself. And you know, now the situation is that, as Sandra was saying, you know, the Conservatives are at almost historic lows in the opinion polls, so they're deeply unpopular in the country. But also Truss is increasingly isolated within her own party. On paper, she has a secure and substantial parliamentary majority in the House of Commons. But in reality, she has maybe 40 supporters left. Um, and most of her own party now, I think, see her as a liability, as ineffectual. Many of them have personal grievances against her for, for removing them from ministerial positions. And it does appear to be just a matter of time and maybe not very much time until she is replaced. All right. I have a comment here from a listener. Um, Sailor Saki um, says, let's hope by week eight she is gone unqualified, incompetent, and only interested in a position of power, regardless of how much damage she does. Please vote her out. Ever since Britain went down the road of Brexit, the country became a mess. 
And uh, that's a comment from uh, our listener, Sailor Saki. So, Professor Awan Scully, I mean, do you agree with Sailor Saki's assessment? And uh, like you mentioned, um, does Liz Truss have to go? It's just a matter of time. Right? I, I, I think it's looking very unlikely that Liz Truss will, will, will stay in office for very long. I mean, the, the one thing I think at the moment that is keeping her in office is that there is no consensus within her very fractious party of who should replace her. If there was a single obvious replacement that the party could coalesce around, I think she'd be gone by tomorrow, uh, maybe even by the time we finish this show. Um, but I, I think that is, uh, for the moment at least, keeping her in place. But I think it was very also important what um, our listener said about Brexit. I mean, Brexit is sort of the deep background to this story. Brexit has not only caused lots of arguments politically in the UK, but it is, I'm afraid, becoming increasingly obvious that Brexit is having a long-term negative impact on the British economy. I mean, Britain, like obviously lots of countries, has been damaged by in the last two and a half years of, of, of the COVID crisis. Um, but beyond that... Um, you know, Britain's recovery is looking slower. Um, the budget deficit situation is looking more difficult than in than in many countries. And there is an emerging, I think, realisation across much of the political spectrum, but also across much of the business community, that not only has Brexit been damaging, but it is continuing to damage Britain. And of course, the Conservative Party is the party that was committed to Brexit, the party that delivered Brexit. How they resolve that... Um, I think is this sort of question which is very much uh, in, in the background to everything that is going on. Now, Britain seems to have dug itself into a bit of a rut here with Brexit, um, the double whammy of the pandemic and also uh, the ongoing war in Ukraine right now. Mm. So it's looking rather stiff for the country. Uh, Professor Colleen, I was wondering what your thoughts are on the Brexit process and also the, I guess, unfolding of the, the implementation of Brexit now that uh, essentially uh, West, well, Whitehall is caught uh, and number 10 is caught up in such strife and also turmoil. Do you see Brexit as going smoothly or likely to go smoothly for the UK, if at all, Professor Colino? Well, the interesting thing is that at the moment, I mean, it seems that the mini-budget has overshadowed the whole Brexit discussion. I think the I agree that, uh, of course, Brexit is probably what triggered the most, the biggest problem that it has triggered, I think, is the also huge division in the Conservative uh, Party. So the, the fracture that we were talking about earlier, that was mentioned earlier, that is partly since 2016. There had always been a division within the Conservative Party as to those who were more pro the EU and those who saw themselves as, you know, thriving more outside the EU. Um, and that, of course, was, was reflected in the referendum. That's what uh, David Cameron tried to kind of address by calling a referendum. Um, I don't think he quite believed that uh, Brexit would actually happen, would be voted um, for. Um, so now they, they, they have to deliver. And the problem is also that we had these promises made that, as, you, as, as we've seen, were not deliverable. Um, so it, we're reeling from that. Liz Truss is inheriting this very fractured party and having to deliver also um, certain promises that are almost impossible to, to, to deliver. I mean, the, 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 we know for the, the Irish border issues and uh, you know, many things that still remain to be resolved. Um, that she hasn't really had time really to address these things um, in detail. Um, she, ha she doesn't seem to have changed uh, the policy from um, uh, the Boris Johnson uh, time. 
So it seems that, that the plan that he devised is still going ahead. But there were still many question marks to be answered, and they haven't been addressed. But I think she needs to, to address this big this big thing now, the, 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 how she's going to handle the economy. Um, and I think that that is now what, what is, is going to be the main problem and what will decide whether she will uh, stay or not. I mean, I think that the problem, the Conservatives are really caught between a rock and a hard place. Um, if they get rid of her and they appoint another prime minister, it just, again, it adds to this feeling of instability. And yet they have this hugely unpopular prime minister now in charge um, whose credibility has been fatally wounded almost. So it's, it's a very, very difficult situation. Indeed, and this is playing out actually in the highest levels of the leadership of the, the current cabinet, where Hunt and Trust notably do not see eye to eye or did not see eye to eye on Brexit and certainly do not agree in a lot of issues, as Professor uh, Awan Scully also outlined just then. So, Professor Awan Scully, turning to you, do you see this sort of inherent ideological divide between Hunt and Trust as being likely to manifest in more incohesion, more division in a cabinet and eventually a potential split in the current cabinet? I, I don't think I actually see it, the divisions between Hunt and Trust as fundamentally an ideological divide. I mean, they're both, uh, you know, well to the right of centre conservatives. They were both actually people who voted for the UK to remain in the EU, but then uh, accepted uh, the verdict of the referendum. The division, frankly, I think is more between um, Hunt and just as uh, Rishi Sunak, who was Truss's opponent in the Conservative leadership contest, they are both, I suppose, what I would call realists. In the, they were accepting that the UK was in a very difficult economic situation after the pandemic because of Ukraine and, and because of other matters as well, that it needed to address its structural budget deficit. Uh, the division between them as realists and... What, to be completely blunt, I would call you know, Liz Truss, following very much in the tradition of Boris Johnson, as frankly fantasists, um, people who seem to think that you could just sort of bluster your way through uh, issues and you know, pretend that things were difficult, were not so difficult. Um, and you know, Boris Johnson was able to get away with that for about almost three years, but um, eventually caught up with him. Liz Trust does not remotely have Boris Johnson's uh, political skills and ability to sort of bluff the way through things. Um, and I'm afraid, you know, reality has a habit of catching up with politicians and with countries. And unfortunately for Liz Truss, uh, she was the person in office when I think reality is in a very serious way started to catch up with the UK. There was a pretty bizarre episode, actually, where Penny, the leader of the House of Commons, was mm. defending yes. Liz Truss in Parliament against questions from Keir. And Liz walked in halfway through that that debate and opted to sit down on the benches, uh, mm. observing her leader, yes. the House of Commons defender, in what supposedly questions to be answered by her. What do you make of this episode? Uh, do you see this as a further piece of evidence affirming, you know, the, the fracture or the, the weakness of her leadership? Yeah, yeah, I mean, again, I think these are largely personal differences more than ideological ones. Penny Mordaunt was um, another of the serious leadership uh, contenders in the Conservative Party and is widely believed to still harbour leadership ambitions. Um, and if you listen to her supposed defence of Prime Minister Trust yesterday, it seemed that she was sort of, while formally defending uh, her at the same time, <laughs> frankly, accidentally on purpose, uh, making things more difficult for the Prime Minister. Um, I, mean, I, I think there was some 
any personal sympathy for Prime Minister Truss in the UK yesterday. I mean, you see some, one or two media interviews, you see when she showed up in the House of Commons, she looked like somebody had slept for about a week. Uh, she looked like somebody almost who was in mourning or something. Um, you know, she literally did not physically look very well. Um, and, you know, I, I think I elicited a small degree of personal sympathy, but that isn't going to rescue her politically. Um, she is already setting new records in the opinion polling for degree of unpopularity of a prime minister she's barely been there you know not much more than a month um and it's very difficult now it's, it's, and the problem is not just that she's messed things up so far it's that even if she got things right from now on it's very difficult to chart a path back to popularity because she's already blown her popularity before most of the really difficult things that are going to affect people's li living standards in the uk have happened so Increases in mortgage rates, which are going to affect you know, millions of homeowners, are only just starting to be implemented, and most people haven't started to pay those yet. The increased fuel bills that are going to affect people are only just starting to be noticeable and you know, won't really start to affect people in a major way until probably December, January. So um, you know, all of this unpopularity has happened before most of the really bad stuff has actually started to affect people. And you think about, you know, four or five months' time when people from month to month are getting poorer and poorer and poorer, um, how then is Liz Trust going to magically become more popular? Right. And uh, earlier, earlier, Professor Awan Scully said it is just a matter of time that Liz Trust will have to go. Um, um, who, but, um, like uh, Professor Kalina was saying, it's a bit difficult. I mean, who, who can actually replace Ms. Truss if she is forced out as a Conservative Party leader? I mean, um, is the Chancellor uh, Jeremy Hunt a likely candidate since he, he's the one sorting out the Prime Minister's mess right now? Well, I mean, Chancellor Hunt said yesterday that having twice been a failed candidate for the Conservative leadership, he was no longer interested in, in that role. Um, I, I think a lot will depend on the exact circumstances by which Liz Truss leaves. I mean, few people seem to have any doubt now that she is going to go at some point in the next weeks or months. Uh, but exactly when and under what circumstances, um, the one saving grace she has at the moment, as I said earlier, is that there is no consensus at all in her very argumentative party as to who should replace her. Uh, you know, the obvious person might be Rishi Sunak, who came second in the leadership contest before, but a lot of people in the party who don't like him. Uh, Penny Mordaunt, the leader of the House, who was ostensibly defending the Prime Minister in, in Parliament yesterday, is another leadership contender. Um, who knows? That, I mean, there might be a, a number of other people who are interested in the role. What about Ben Wallace, the Defence Secretary? Ben Wallace is one of the few, almost, in fact, almost the only UK Conservative politician whose reputation has improved over the last, say, nine months. He is the Defence Minister, is widely seen as having very effectively led the UK's support for Ukraine uh, uh, since February um, and himself has very much kept out of the uh, party arg arguments. Um, but, I mean, he has said on a number of occasions that he really is not interested in, in party leadership. He's not a particularly sort of political politician. Um, he's never seemed uh, ambitious in that sense. Um, but it could be that he, he might be almost the only person around whom the party 
could unite. Um, but even you know, for that to happen, he would have to agree to sort of uh, go forward as party leader. And these other people who are very ambitious would have to agree to stand aside. And at the moment, it's looking unlikely that that can, that that can actually happen. Now, P- Professor Colino, um, a- a- another candidate that's been floated is actually Boris Johnson. So the return of uh, Bojo himself is a, is a possibility. He's also currently under investigation for uh, breaking a series of lockdown rules in protocol, if I recall correctly, and also potential investigation of his conduct in office. So I was just wondering, Professor Colino, uh, how would you rate his chances and the odds of a Boris Johnson comeback, um, as he promised at the end of his speech? Well, I think, yes, I think at the moment, who, is, who might be the next leader is anybody's guess. Indeed, there has been a lot of talk, um, including Nadine Doris um, um, tweeting and, and really saying that the only solution was to bring back Boris. Um, I mean, the, the problem is he was hugely popular and he did win the last election with a, with a significant majority, a huge improvement from the previous snap election that had been called by, by Theresa May. Um, so, but I think that in the, in the years um, that he was prime minister, that popularity kind of dropped some, somewhat. Um, I mean, there was all the, the, the Partygate scandals, um, the, I mean, it, 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 there was many things, but I mean, I remember also that what angered some people was when um, in, the, in, the, in, in the legislative proposals that he brought forward, um, he seemed to say that they were, they, they were, the government intended not to comply with, um, had been agreed with the EU previously, so it was very unclear what the situation with Brexit would be. And then, of course, all these scandals about him uh, breaking his own rules. Um, so I think that, I mean, it would be quite unprecedented to bring somebody back, let's say. I mean, we are seeing this is not unique. I guess also if we see what's happening in the U.S. with the, with the possible resurrection All right. of Donald Trump. All right, so, Professor okay. Kalina, we'll, we'll have to take a short break for the news. Sure. And let us continue our discussion in three minutes' time. Now, uh, remember, if you have any comments or questions for our guests this morning, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RCHK Radio 3, email us on backchat at rchk.hk, or give us a call on 233-88266. And uh, here's the weather sunny intervals the top temperature will be around 24 degrees winds fresh north to northeasterly strong offshore occasionally gale force on high ground and right now it's 22 degrees relative humidity 50 percent you're listening to the news on rthk Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with Brian Wong and me, Janice Wong. This morning, we're looking at chaos in UK politics. Like I mentioned at the start of the program, Liz Truss has just been the Prime Minister for more than 40 days, but her short stint has already seen chaos in the financial markets. She's uh, sacked her finance minister and performed a U-turn on her flagship tax policy. Now, still with us on the program is Roger Wan Scully, Professor of Political Science at Baptist University. And on the line, we have Sandra marco an associate professor from the Chinese University's Faculty of Law. And uh, Brian? Yes, so uh, just returning to Professor Kalino, what we were discussing just then on Boris Johnson, you see, we, would, you, would you see a comeback as likely at all, or do you see his being uh, potentially uh, you know, stripped of the whip and, uh, being a, a higher possibility as it stands? Well, as I was saying, it would be highly unprecedented to bring him back. I did see that there was an online petition that had gathered something like 10,000 signatures in, in, in two days, so that's pretty impressive. Um, but I think the bigger problem, I mean, rather than who is going to be the next leader, which is 
quite unpredictable. And uh, the candidates that have been discussed already, of course, would all be big names right up there with uh, with all, uh, with Boris as well. Um, but um, I think the problem is who is going to unite this very divided party and who is going to get not just enough support to be elected, but follow up on um, trying to do something that, like a gesture, a bit like we were talking about earlier, Margaret Thatcher um, putting uh, big uh, detractors in her cabinet, people who didn't support her, um, and this trust doing the exact opposite, just filling up the cabinet with her friends. Um, clearly, that's not the way forward, and that's something that, uh, that the next prime minister should definitely think about and, and address. That's very fair. Now, turning to the subject of the next general election, which is technically due by January 2025, um, Professor Wan Scully, do you see you know, a general election as being likely before then, say, taking place over the next 12 months? Um, well, the, the Conservative Party right now are so fantastically unpopular that they have no incentive to uh, bring bring a general election about. Um, the old saying that turkeys don't vote for Christmas, and yeah, you know, while the Conservatives cling on to power, they always, I suppose, have the hope, the possibility that something might turn up, that, that the opposition parties might um, develop some problems, that they might somehow become a bit more popular. Um, however, you know, the Conservative Party is so divided and so argumentative at the moment, I don't think we can even rule out the possibility of just, you know, the government, uh, the governing party just falling to pieces and, um, and, and, and therefore an early election being precipitated in, in some way related to that. And Professor Kalina, do you agree? Yes, I would largely agree that, uh, that these are some of the big uh, things that need to be dealt with, yes. And uh, so far, I mean, we've, we've, we've been talking about uh, whether Liz Truss should stay or if she should go and uh, who should replace her. But, but no matter if, um, if she does stay on or, or if there is a new leader, um, one of the uh, priorities of the government, I believe, uh, will be to restore its credibility and its reputation. Um, Professor Alwan Scully, how do you think that can be done? I mean, can it be done? Well, in terms of credibility with the markets, I mean, they seem to be pressing ahead with now actually tax rises instead of um, major tax cuts. There's also apparently going to be an announcement soon of a programme of some public spending cuts, although that's going to be very difficult because you know, we've had lots of public spending cuts over the last decade and more, so you know, there isn't much sort of fat left to trim. Um, and things like the UK Health Service, the Education Service, uh, are already struggling under the burdens of COVID. Um, you know, it's not obvious that there are many easy places where you can make cuts, so that's going to be very difficult and probably fantastically unpopular. Popular. So that, that's economic credibility. Um, it's reasonably clear to see how you can achieve that. Political credibility, credibility within uh, you know, the House of Commons, credibility within the Conservative Party, but also with the British people, winning that back at a time when you know, bills are going to be going up, mortgage rates are going to be going up, and public services are going to be cut. It's extremely difficult to see how the Conservative Party can, can manage that. Maybe the best of a bad job that they can do is simply say to people, as the new finance minister said yesterday, look, we're in a difficult position, things are going to be difficult, and I was trying to be kind of straight with people about that. But, you know, that's clearly not a message that people are going to enjoy hearing. Turning to the other side of the aisle, which is the Labour Party, um, 
So, Professor Awanskali, do you see the Labour Party as being ready to govern and ready to step in any event that the general election is called? Is Keir Starmer, you know, has he assembled a team that's prepared to, to govern and to dig the UK out of this, this mess that it's currently in? One of the things that makes the Conservative Party's problems even worse is that at the same time as they seem to be falling to pieces and, and getting government horrendously wrong, their main opponents, the Labour Party, have really pulled themselves together. So, you know, the Labour Party from sort of 2015 through to early 2020, being led by um, this uh, left-wing figure, Jeremy Corbyn, who didn't have much credibility with the British public. Keir Starmer has replaced him, and it's you know, taken some time for him to turn his party around. But Starmer, although he is you know, certainly not a sort of charismatic figure like, say, Tony Blair was, um, Starmer is somebody who carries quite a lot of credibility. He's former formerly a very senior figure in the British judicial system. He was director of public prosecutions. Um, he's brought, you know, as, as Liz Truss did not do, he's brought his major leadership opponents and other senior figures in the party into his leadership team. And increasingly, you know, the Labour Party look like a much more um, authoritative and competent leadership team uh, than the Conservative Party do. Hence, you know, the Labour Party is not only leading in the headline voting intention figures in the UK by 25, 30, 35 percentage points, but also, this is possibly more important, uh, if you look into the detail of the opinion polls, you know, which parties are rated as better to handle the economy, better to handle public services, which party leader is rated as the best potential prime minister. Across all of those sort of competence measures, the Labour Party is now not only ahead, but in pretty much every single one, ahead by a very long way. And Professor Kalina, would you say that the Labour Party has um, both the, the recourse and the available mechanisms to, to trigger a general election, or do you see that as something that rests squarely and predominantly within the court of the Tories? I mean, it's, at the moment, of course, the, uh, the ball is on the, on the Conservatives' court. They can govern if they want um, until you know, the, the, the next general election um, without calling for a, for a, for a more recent or, or, uh, election. But, of course, they have the problem if they now have to elect a new leader, um, it becomes very difficult to, to maintain, right, to, to hold on to power, um, especially when it is widely acknowledged and widely known that they would probably do very badly in a new election. Um, so, I mean, of course, Labour would, would clearly take the opportunity if there's a new leader appointed to challenge the, the, the legitimacy, let's say, that the, the Conservatives have to, to continue in government. Um, I mean, I, I agree that the, the Labour Party has become increasingly popular. Um, I think the problem with, um, with uh, Jeremy Corbyn was more the fact that um, he had to go... I mean, he was quite popular, if you think about um, how did in the snap election called by Theresa May, he did much better than expected. And he always seemed to kind of gather the, the public support in a way. So I would, I would kind of uh, maybe see it a little bit differently from... Um, so the, the only thing that I would say is that he became very unpopular when he had to make a U-turn or when he had to effectively express, um, or he said he, that he didn't support Brexit. Um, which uh, was something that a lot of the people that had supported him um, were in favour of. Um, and, uh, yes, that really hurt him in, in, in some parts of the UK that had been 
very strongholds for Labour. Um, so it seems that now Labour have, with a renewed leadership, even though, yes, it, it's he, uh, Keir Starmer is not Tony Blair, um, there should be, they, they have enough definitely to, to, to govern and to go forward, yes. It's interesting because I think what's cropped up so far in discussion is, you know, when it comes to Corbyn, he's certainly enjoyed a higher volume of support from the, the rank-and-file grassroots members, or at least those that voted for him in the leadership election as compared with a parliamentary Labour Party. And I guess that disconnect is also to some extent observed in terms of the Tory leadership race, right, where Rishi clearly enjoyed substantially greater support from the MPs in Parliament, whereas the, the Tory grassroots in the base were by far more, more vocally and vociferously in favour of trust, although not by huge margins, so to speak. Um, is this a broader phenomenon that's rocking UK politics, this disconnect between the parliamentary parliamentarians and, and the people at large? And, and what does that say about the state of politics, Professor Kilino? I mean, that's not, it, it's not uncommon. It's something that, of course, uh, happens not just in the UK. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it makes it very difficult to, um, to, select, to elect a leader that will not only have internal support but also once you face a general election to 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 win it um but uh yes it means that again i think that the the big problem that the conservatives are facing is uh first of all getting they need to unify their party and then they start they really need to do something that is hugely popular in order to get support if they are going to go into the general election with any chance of of winning and on, on that note, uh, Professor White Scully, would you agree with uh, Professor Kalina? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think things are looking pretty desperate for the uh, Conservative Party at the moment. As I said, and, and this is before a, a lot of the pain has actually hit the UK population, uh, and it's very difficult to see uh, kind of a, a route back for the Conservatives. I, I suppose you know they have to hope that the Labour Party makes some some major mistakes um, or you falls into internal division. Um, the problem with the Conservatives is, frankly, at the moment, most of the mistakes and the internal divisions are coming from them. Right. And uh, looking ahead, I mean, we were seeing uh, more Conservative MPs uh, calling for Liz Trust to uh, resign. Um, what can we expect? I think we can expect this to sort of continue over, over the next few days. I, mean, I think she was quite lucky, frankly, that the first people who publicly called for her to go were people who don't have a great deal of public credibility. Um, but I think we can expect a sort of a drip, drip, drip over the next few days. Uh, meanwhile, behind the scenes, um, various potential contenders will be organising, jockeying for position. Um, I, I think the real problem for the for the party, though, is well, there's two problems. One is there's no formal mechanism to force out Liz Truss. I mean, you'd have to, I think, get a, a revolt by most of her cabinet and her parliamentary party to more or less force her out. Um, although the rules don't formally provide a mechanism for that. I mean, the the other kind of problem is, you know, there is no consensus on who should replace her. And I think, yeah, another internal party leadership contest, while the country is facing all of these desperate problems, will make the Conservative Party just look ridiculous. Um, and I think lots of the potential leadership contenders realise that. Um, the only possible path i think they can go back to credibility 
was if they could persuade her to stand down and the party could unite around a consensus figure um, who would have some credibility within the party and with the public uh, to address the very major problems that the UK faces. But there is really, at the moment, no signs of consensus around that figure emerging. And do you see, um, you know, Prof- uh, Professor Owen Scully, that there would be likely reforms to the structural ordinances and decision-making rules within the Conservative Party in light of the past four years of fiasco with respect to ensuring better accountability and responsiveness from the leaders going, going into the future? Or do, do you see these structural changes as likely? I, I think while they're in government, frankly, they've got more urgent problems to to deal with, um, you know, stopping the country falling to pieces. Um, as and when the Conservative Party do do lose badly in a general election, however, and have some time to reflect in opposition, then I think you're going to see people looking at the leadership rules. But that that is also actually going to be very unpopular with the party. You know, the, the Conservative Party doesn't have a huge membership. Lots of those who are members partly are there so that they can have a say on things like who is the leader of the party, what direction should it go in. And if there are attempts to remove that from the party membership, I think you could well see a substantial further internal arguments within the party, not now about the direction that they're taking the country as a government, but about simply how the party would run itself and organise itself. Thank you. And Professor Colino, do you, do you see structural changes to the broader ways by which um, the British government is held together, uh, given its notable lack of a, a strict written constitution? Do, do you see structural changes along those lines across different partisan lines as likely, um, not just within the Tories, but just in general? Well, that's hard to predict. I mean, I think also what we need to remember is that often the electorate has a very short memory. So, it's, I mean, we are now predicting that there will be a debacle for the Conservatives in the next election, etc. But let's see what happens. Let's see how soon that election takes place um, and whether the polls are entirely correct. As, as we know, that has not always been the case. Um, so any deeper reform is, is probably immediately unlikely, at least. Um, but certainly it, for, for the experts, there's some food for thought um, to see whether this is a, a tenable situation. All right, uh, Professor Colino and uh, Professor Awan Scully, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. And that's uh, Professor uh, Sandra Marco Colino, an associate professor from the Chinese University's Faculty of Law, and uh, Roger Awan Scully, professor of political science at Baptist University. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. It's now 18 minutes past nine and it's time for us to move on to our next topic. And it's about the New Territories Cycle Track Network that connects New Territories east to west. Now it's uh, almost complete and Hong Kongers are being asked for their views on the final 17 kilometres of the cycling track network. To comment on this, we're now joined by Chang Ka Leung, member and spokesperson of the Hong Kong Cycling Alliance. Good morning, Mr Chan. Morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, can you first tell us a bit about this um, New Territories Cycle Track Network? It's, um, I know it's uh, 82 kilometres long. H- how much of it is already open to the public? Uh, uh, most of the cycle track is already open. Uh, the, the, it is uh, starting from the Shan and then go around all the New Territories and then uh, back to Twin One. So uh, if it is completed, the cyclists can cycle all the way around the uh, new territory and uh, go to places.
places that uh, we usually cannot go right. with a bicycle. Right. And have you tried it out? How is the ride along the track? Yeah, it is fantastic. Uh, the new beat is uh, quite good, and the view is so good. Uh, I, I am looking for uh, the new beat uh, along the Castle Peak Road. Uh, the view is uh, because it is uh, by the sea, so the view is so good, and you can see the Chiang Ma Bridge and then uh, Lantau Island, and uh, you can go to Chin Mun, and it is uh, very good for family and also for commuting. Now, as you know, you know uh, uh, the Hong Kong is currently uh, reopening to tourists and also incoming visitors, uh, thanks to relaxation in the quarantine and also social distancing rules and protocol. Uh, do you see this new cycle track as being a core and instrumental part of the ecotourism and also sports-based tourism efforts of the Hong Kong government uh, to reach out to new visitors and tourists? Yeah, I'm sure because uh, Hong Kong is famous for its countryside. The view, uh, people coming to Hong Kong for hiking and also uh, for the for the beaches and and then cycling. Uh, it is uh, quite a missing part in the tourist promotion. So uh, I think it is uh, very good for the tourists to use this bicycle to tour around Hong Kong, not only in the New Territory and also in the Hong Kong Island and, and maybe around all the parts of the, the, the city. Right. And now uh, there is a, a two-month consultation uh, that's been launched uh, for the final 17-kilometer section of the uh, cycle track network. Um, what would you like to see? I would like to see it uh, be implemented as soon as possible, because the last bit, uh, it is the most difficult part. Uh, the most difficult part is because of the uh, view of some of the residents uh, along the route. Uh, there's some objection, and then uh, there's some technical difficulties. I, I think they can be overcome and then uh, be completed the, the whole circle. So there are some objections from residents uh, near the area? Uh, yeah, uh, there used to be some uh, objection, like in uh, some Jiang area, and uh, because they, uh, the residents there, they, they don't want a cycle track going through their community. So I think there's a little bit of uh, more consultation to be done, and also some technical difficulty because uh, uh, we don't want to do much reclamation of the sea. And then they have to uh, solve the technical problem, how to uh, build a cycle track in the limited space. Uh, they, the proposition is now they, have, they are going to do some limited reclamation and also uh, some bridges to overcome the problems. So would you say this part of the uh, cycle track network is the uh, most difficult part? Because uh, it involves, uh, does it involve a lot of um, steep slopes? Yes, deep slopes, and also because it is by the by the sea, so the the space uh, to build a to add a cycle track is limited. So they have to figure out different ways in different parts of the of the route. Right, and if um, reclamation is involved, uh, how much uh, do you know around approximately how much uh, uh, it will involve? How much space? They are trying to limit it in uh, to to the minimum.
because there's a uh, a law prohibiting the the uh, reclamation except for the absolute uh, benefit for the society absolute need so uh, they are keeping it to the minimum part of it it's uh is via Samjang and also along part of the roads part of the roads and uh, this uh, 17 kilometer section we're talking about, it goes from um, Chunwan Bayview Garden to uh, So Kun Wat. Is that uh, correct? Yeah. And it's supposed to come with some uh, supporting and recreational facilities. Uh, what kind of facilities uh, do you think uh, would be uh, suitable along that uh, part of the track? Um, people go to the beaches, go to the uh, seaside for many purposes just strolling and also walking the dog fishing swimming so if you add a cycle track and also uh, pedestrian pathway it will hugely facilitate people to enjoy the seaside and, and going to places uh, just like uh, uh, promenade in, uh, in the Hong Kong Island if you open it up uh, people use it for for many many uh, different purpose for just sitting there uh, watching the sunset is fantastic. You've mentioned the need or the possibility for a pan Hong Kong sort of cycling driven effort to encourage people to cycle more. Um, I was just wondering, there's a perennial issue concerning safety, which is essentially the safety of those on bicycles, but also those who are pedestrians, and the interactions or potential altercations between pedestrians and also bicycles. Uh, do you see uh, bicycle safety as an important issue that the government must address, and do you think the government's currently at the wheel with regards to uh, this particular matter? Uh, I think the government is has always been aware of uh, the safety issues and I think they they need to uh, address this uh, problem but uh, the direction is not to limit cycle cycling the direction is, is actually to encourage more cycling to make it uh, safer uh, around the world it's, it is the statistics that tells us that if more people cycle more proficient and uh, and then the, the cycling safety is increased rather than uh, more dangerous. It is just the opposite way, the, the way around. So uh, the the safety issue is not to uh, mandatory the helmet. No, it is not the way. The way is to design a safer uh, road, safer cycling facility for the cyclist and also for the pedestrian. Make the environment safer, and then it is it is safer to cycle and, and to walk. Right, and going back to um, the recreational uh, facilities that uh, you want to see along that part of the track, um, you said uh, you, you wanted to sort of uh, facilitate people's uh, um, walk along uh, the coast. Um, are you saying that uh, what you really want to see is just some some benches along the way? Yeah, actually, in the proposal, there's some uh, provision for uh, for this, for this, and uh, like the sitting area, like the uh, water provision, like uh, the some area for for the people to gather. So it is already there, and uh, people would would stop where they want to stop. And if you provide some uh, some more facility like shades and 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 also plant trees there, uh, it will increase uh, the enjoyability for for using the the, 
So, so turning now to an area that's been floated as a prospective site for even more cycling parts, and that's Saikung. Now, Saikung has obviously gorgeous, gorgeous views and scenery and a fantastic environment for not just hiking and mountaineering, but also uh, cycling. Um, do, do you see Saikung uh, and potential development of further cycling paths as high on your list of ideal desired priorities for the government to uh, take into account? And, and if so, uh, what concrete suggestions would you make in terms of making Saikung more cycling friendly? I think, uh, like, uh, uh, more cycle track provision is a way to go because around the world it is, uh, it is uh, one of the major way to promote cycle. And also education, and uh, education for the public, education for cycling uh, in the school, for the children, and for the drivers. And uh, also the, the provision of... Uh, of uh, connection between uh, the different districts in, in Hong Kong. Like uh, someone is proposing a cycle uh, from Kowloon to uh, to Shatin using the, the, the old uh, uh, landmark tunnel. Like all, all these add together will increase cycling and and in this way people will be more uh, attracted to, to using the bicycle and if more people use it, they are more aware of the needs of, of the cyclists and also for, for the people uh, around the cycle track. So I think it is going in a good direction to, provoke, to provide more cycle track like this, like, like the uh, uh, new cycle track purpose. Indeed, when a border reopens, we might even be able to put forth a program of cycling on the uh, Hong Kong Macau and Zhuhai Bridge. Do you see that as a as a great way of promoting sort of um, the Greater Bay Area uh, awareness of cycling and also uh, exporting or importing rather Hong Kong's uh, cycling soft power back into the mainland? Why not? It is. Uh, it is uh, around the world. It is uh, possible to cycle. On the bridges, and uh, I just now I, I'm looking for if uh, when the world is opening up after the the pandemic, and people are looking for ways to to cycle. You know, uh, the people in Hong Kong they like to cycle like in uh, in Japan. There's some there's a famous um, uh, route uh, to cycle through many connected bridges. And the view is so great. People will buy air ticket, take the bicycle, the cycle in in Japan. All right, Mr. Chen. I, I guess in yeah. Why, I guess it's all about creativity. And uh, thanks for your suggestion.